Morning. Okay, we're starting off on a bad start. We got to talk a little bit. Pastor gets lonely up here if someone don't talk to him sometimes. Ephesians 2. Oh my goodness, what a privilege it is for us to be able to open up to the book of Ephesians and to say, I thought we were going to 1 Corinthians. I know we are. We've got to start here today. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10, what a privilege it is to open up God's Word with you this morning. We have been singing. I, I just wonder, Mike, as I was sitting here, I was like, I wonder how many songs have been written after someone reads the first couple chapters of Ephesians. It's just amazing, and we want to we look at that today. So let's stand to our feet in honor of God's Word. Ephesians 2, we're going to begin at verse 1. Before we read, I want to challenge you with something this morning. I want you to engage your mind as we read God's Word. I want you to look for the pronouns as I read. I'm not going to accent them for you. I want you to look for things like we and you and us, okay? So let's read this. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's Word. Let us pray. God, Lord, we, we pray to You as our Father, you are the only God. And you're the only one that sent his only son into this world so that we might know you and that we might live for you. And with Micah, Lord, we are grieved as we look out at a nation that is divided and people make money on division. And people so angry and filled with hate kill other people. And, and Lord, today we must stop. We must remember and we must look at ourselves. Oh God, help us today to see your word in light of your grace. To see ourselves in light of your grace and be forever changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. So the gospel, if you got your notes, you should say it at the top. The gospel brings those once separated by sin and unites them by grace in Christ. Separated from what? United to what? And why in the world 
Stephen? Are you starting in Ephesians to get to 1 Corinthians? See, this, we are reminded as we begin our journey ter- towards 1 Corinthians that these letters were written to local churches. This is the context for Ephesians. It is the context for 1 and 2 Corinthians. Paul wants to help the church in both of these letters to live what we are going to call over the next few weeks the gospel life. And so let me be clear, what I, this is what I do not mean. I do not mean this. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. It's not what we mean. The gospel must be proclaimed with words. We are talking about how do we live out the effects of the gospel in our actual life. So let me define it. It's not in your notes, so if you're taking notes, you're going to have to write this down. I'll mention it again next week. What does it mean when I say live the gospel life? Here's what we mean, and this is where I hope this helps you understand why we have to start here. Living for Christ out of the gospel life means living for Christ out of the spiritual blessings given by Christ in the age in which we live. So I'm trying to define this, whether we live in Corinth or whether we live in Kings Mountain. Let me read that again. To live the gospel life is to live for Christ out of the spiritual blessings that's given by Christ in the age in which we live. This is not easy, even with the Holy Spirit. We know this. This is war. It was a war then and it's a war now. This is why Paul writes multiple letters to the churches. This is why Paul even sent some of his brothers into the churches. Why? Because we need to be reminded. The redeemed must be reminded. And so, flip back with me in, your, in the Bible just to Ephesians 1. Let's just recall some things. Chapter 1 gives us the plan. The plan of salvation And tells us that it is a past, present, and future reality. That's what we have to do today. We have to fly in an airplane. We can't get in our submarine. I'm a submarine guy. I like to go deep. I don't like to stay up high. And so, going to have to help me. We're just going to fly over these wonderful things this morning pretty fast. And growth group leaders, listen to me. You can stop and camp and dive deep and get in your submarine with your growth groups in any of these points we talk about today. And there's plenty to choose from. So if you've ever flown somewhere, we've flown overseas many times, there's always generally multiple stops. And so think about this. We used to go to Romania all the time. We'd always land in Amsterdam. Just think of Ephesians as Amsterdam this morning. We're going to get back on the plane and we're going to take off to Corinth. But we're going to stay and visit for just a little while in our connecting flight here in Ephesians. So let's look at verse chapter 1 to start with. I'm not going to read it. I just want you to remember with me. What are these spiritual blessings? Because the church needs to be reminded of the spiritual blessings that they received. Remember what they are? Look at verse 4. We have been chosen. Verse 5. We have been predestined. Verse 5 again. We have been predestined to adoption. 
Verse 7, we have been redeemed. Verse 7, we have been forgiven. Verse 11, we have been given an inheritance. In verse 13, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. These are the blessings. And we have received them. Verse 13, I love this. It says, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You heard, you believed, you were sealed. That's the blessing. I love verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me because it makes it very clear what the plan is. We've got to understand the plan. Then we've got to understand the persons that he implemented the plan with. Verse 10 says, back up to the end of verse 9, he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, listen, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So everything, this is the plan, the blessed plan to unite all things under Christ's lordship. And we are, as the church, are the first fruits of that. And Christ is our head. I'm not making this up. Just look with me at verse 21, chapter 1. Speaking of Christ still, said that he is Christ. Verse 21 is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Verse 22, he has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the what? The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So those are the blessings. That is the plan. So let me put another bookend on the other end, and we'll come back to this at the end of the message. Look now, flip over to chapter 2, and look at verse 14. This is important given what Pastor Micah just pointed out, that this world is, is divided. It is hostile, not only to God, but to each other. In verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of, of hostility. We see that the world here, just think about it in its opposite. The world is not at peace and neither are we. There is hostility. There is an us here. There used to be division. There's hostility. We've experienced this many times being a family who has brought children into our home through adoptive and we get a really a lot of ignorant things people say to us and I say ignorant is a genuine that most people don't understand and they use the word like real and natural as as if some of your children are real and others are not real or some of us natural and some's not natural understand we get our understanding of this by the gospel of Jesus Christ that adoption is a moment in time in the past and we're, we love to remember that, that we have been adopted, but I do not describe myself as an adopted child of God. I am a child of God. That's my present reality, and that's my future reality. That's a gospel reality, and you see, it makes a difference how we live this gospel life by understanding the gospel reality. We are the family of God. In other words, we're going to look at the text today. We are the us in here. We used to not be the us. That's what he wants us to remember. The us is the church. 
I'm just using Wayne Grudem's definition here. It's, it's good. It's not the only one that's good, but it's the one I'm using this morning. That what is the church? The church is the community of all true believers for all time. The church is made up of this. We's, I'm using the pronouns now. If you paid attention to that in the text, we're going to see it again. The we's and the you's. And so he's using an argument here, and you've got to see the argument. It begins in the very beginning of the book, of the letter. He's talking about there used to be we's, and there used to be you's, but because of the gospel, there's only us. So we plus you plus the gospel equals us. And you take out the gospel, and you don't have an us. This is just reality. The church was once a group of divided, unredeemed people who never, who never would love each other, nor obey God, nor would ever live life together. But God. God has given us great spiritual blessings, but we need to remember this morning that we were once dead in our sin and enemies of God. He's calling both the groups, these two groups that were once divided. He is saying, you both need to remember something. You see, Jews and Gentiles didn't care anything for each other. They were the worst of this. They were the worst example of people who did not not only like each other. I mean, they weren't going to have a cookout together. They weren't going to have a fish fry together. Their wives weren't going to carpool. They lived culturally and religiously segregated lives. And that by and large, they were completely fine with it. He's telling the Ephesian church, you need to remember that that's who you were before God converted you, before He saved your soul. He says, look at verse 1, you were dead. Notice the you. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Who's the you? The you are the Gentiles. Look with me down in verse 11 and 12. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, but what now is called the circumcision, which is made with the flesh with hands. Look at verse 12. You want to know what dead means? He's telling us. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in this world. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. They were dead spiritually. It's a strange, strange dead. People don't understand it when we talk about spiritual death if you're not in Christ. Because the people are very much walking around. They're very much alive to sin. Quite actively. As we have seen this week. He is dead towards God. But he is very much alive toward all wickedness. He's free to do what he pleases. And it pleases him very much to sin. <laughs> he pleases him very much to live for himself. Notice at verse 2, he's also walking with someone. He's following someone. You see, everybody follows somebody. And if you're not following Christ, who are you following? He said that you were following the prince and the power of the air. That's the devil. See, Jews and Gentiles knew this. They even reflected in the temple. There was a wall. And, and the Jews, the, those people, the Gentiles, they couldn't come in. There. They couldn't enter into the presence of God. They were separated. Jewish believers sitting there going, dude, y'all were messed up. That's right. Goodness gracious. I can't believe the Lord saved you. Paul says, 
Hold on a second. Verse 3. We were under God's wrath. See, the we's are the Jews among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Uh-oh. The Jewish people don't get in just because they're Jews? Uh-uh. Not what the Bible says. Not what Jesus said. Turn with me over to Romans. Romans 2. Another mountaintop letter of, of Paul. Romans 2, he talks to Jews. Jesus did this too, by the way. We don't have time to look at that today. Romans 2, verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you are yourselves a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. And he goes on. Look at verse 24. For it is written, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You see, the Jews had the mirror of the law, yet they turned from it. They rejected it in their actual life. Instead, they held to outward circumcision and ethnic identity. For their relationship with God. And oh my goodness. How about the Bible Belt? We were watching a documentary called The Eye on the Prize. And got to this point. You ought to have to try to explain this to, to children who've never been grown up. In the 60's and the 70's or even in this country. In March 7th, 1965, African Americans call this Bloody Sunday. African Americans attempted to march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama to simply ask for the right to vote to be enforced. They were met by a group of white police officers governed by a white governor named George Wallace who stopped them from marching, and when they asked to pray, marched on them and trampled them and beat them. And I ask you a question. How many of them went to church that day and thought they were right before God? We need to look at ourselves, and we need to remember that we profess Christ with our mouths, but our lives denied it. This is what he's telling Jews and Gentiles. Luke 18, do you remember? Two men went into the temple to pray. Verse 9, remember what Jesus said? It says he, was also, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So he told this story. Two men went into the temple to pray. And, and one the man, the Pharisee, stood up by himself and said, I thank God. I'm not like those extortioners and adulterers and the unjust and even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give all the tithes of everything that I have. But the tax collector stood afar off, wouldn't even lift up his head and he beat his breast and he said, Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. What did Jesus say? I tell you this, that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself 
will be exalted. You see, if we always judge ourselves by ourselves, among ourselves, we will never deal with the reality of ourselves before a holy God. He tells this to the church. You need to remember who you were. You were spiritually dead without Christ. But praise the Lord. He also tells us to remember that there's a verse 4. We need to be reminded of the mercy of God. The mercy of God. But God, look at verse 4. And if you take out all this good stuff in verse 4 and in verse, beginning of verse 5, you get this statement. But God made us alive together. Do you see that? These Gentiles had a problem before God. These Jews had a problem before God. But Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5 says, But God made us alive together. You see the us? Connects with together. See, if you miss the we and the you, you'll miss the us. This is his argument. We were spiritually dead, but now because of God and His mercy, because of His love, we have all both been through a spiritual resurrection. Doesn't take any more spiritual power to resurrect a Jew or a Gentile, for we both had a problem. This is the unifying truth that made enemies family. Jesus didn't die so that we tolerate each other. Jesus died so that we can have a relationship with Him and be in a family with each other. We start off with this. We remember this by going and saying we both had a problem that we couldn't fix. But God intervened in our life. And now look at this. Right there in verse 5. We are made alive together. First one in your notes. You've got a blank spot with Christ. Verse 5. We are made alive together with Christ. Every one of these is a, is a message. I just want to point out a couple things. Romans 6.11. Just listen to it. It says, so, that also, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you really are dead to sin and alive in Christ. That's who we are now. We have, in other words, a new identity. Our with Christ means we are with Him. We share His name. We, sh- we are in His family. But He really wants us to get something in Ephesians 2. Look at verse 6. has this resurrection language going on still. It says, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him. Look at all the with Him's and in Christ. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. Is He being redundant? Ye bet He is. He wants us to understand something. That because we are in Him, because we are with Christ, because He, he now is our, He adopted us into our, and we are now His children, we have identity. Get that, I don't have time to explain all this this morning. Authority and security. That's what it means to be with Christ. I love verse, Ephesians 2 verse 13. It gets to the very intimate nature of what it means to be with Christ. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you, remember the yous, who were once afar off, have been brought near. How? The blood of Christ. How did this happen? 
happened by His grace. You see that? That's next. Verse 5. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What I want you to see this morning is, is, is this understanding of these two, two sides of the coin of mercy. Two things the bud God brought in our life. One is mercy. We, our, we talk about this all the time and because we need to be reminded of this even within the home what grace is. You see, mercy is God withholding what you deserve justly. He withholds it. In other words, He does not give you what you justly deserve. He withholds that. And what He does, what that enables is grace, which is for you to receive that which you did not deserve. So you see both of it? you got to have both. you got to have God withholding or removing that which we justly deserve. you got to have grace coming to though we did not deserve it. We're saved by that grace. I love 1 John 4.10 because it has this wonderful word in it called propitiation. You need to learn these words in the Bible. They're rich. That's why we know these terms. Let me just read the text. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. That word propitiation means that there is wrath that is in the way of mercy. And He removes the wrath. He removes that in order that grace and favor may come into our life. That had to happen. And it happened by His grace. As I was studying this, I had a song that I just... Well, you know how you sing it. I don't know where you sing it from. You might sing it in your head. They might say we're singing it in our heart. I just know it started. It just come up. It was written by a guy named William Newell. I may be mispronouncing his name. It said that he was on the way to Bible college to teach. And he was meditating on, these, on the gospel. And he ducked into a classroom on the way. And he wrote these words on the back of an envelope. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not, my Lord was crucified. Knowing not, it was for me He died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to be. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at least my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. Then my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I'm gladly on Him as my King. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Brothers and sisters, mercy was great and grace was free. It was not only free, but you need to grab this this morning. It was without discrimination. Romans 10.9, you remember that great passage. If you share the gospel, you're probably going to share this text. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Listen, this is just a part of this beautiful gospel message 
is verse 9 and 10. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved without distinction. It's good news, brothers and sisters. It's what the gospel was founded on. That's what the apostles fought for. Look up Acts 15 sometimes and read it. Peter said, we have determined that we are saved by grace just like the Gentiles. We get no foot up because of our ethnicity. It all comes through the cross and it all comes by grace. We are saved. We are made alive in Christ by grace through faith. Verse 8 Back to Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. What is faith? Well, I just picked two passages that I think best reflect. What is faith? We need to learn what things are before we tell people to have it. Turn with me to Romans 4. Romans 4, I love this passage. I I think it's one of the clearest for me. Maybe I'm just slow and I like it because of that. I want to give you my understanding of how I would try to explain something body to faith. It's only through Christ we've said that. Romans 4.20, let me just give you this. I want us to read these passages and see if this is true. What is faith? Faith is trusting in the God of the promises and trusting in the promises of God. Faith is trusting in the God of the promises and it's also trusting in the promises of God. You cannot trust in someone's promise to do anything if you do not trust Him. Romans 4 verse 20, let's listen to what the Word says because that's ultimately what matters. No unbelief, talking about Abraham here, There was no unbelief that made Abraham waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith and he gave God glory, comma, verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. This is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, while we know that Abraham will be with us in eternity, is because he trusted in God and trusted in the promises of God. It was counted to him as righteousness. And we know Hebrews 11.1, 1, don't we? That's the text you should have thought about when you said, what is faith? You're talking about Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's three really important words there. Assurance. Conviction with hope right in the middle. This is sort of a faith sandwich. You see assurance? You know what that means? It means confidence. Now look at the other side. Look at the other side of the... This is two pieces of bread with a piece of meat in the middle. The one side is assurance. The other side is conviction. That means proof. Evidence. Now faith is the confidence... Of the things hoped for. What is hope? I hope it don't rain while I'm at the beach. It's not what it means. (laughs) That's not what the Bible means by this hope. This is an expectant confidence of something that's going to happen in the future. Expectant in confidence. 
We are absolutely confident that that which we expect and confidently know because God has promised is going to happen. That is our proof. Faith itself is. Look at the end of verse 8. It says, and this. You see it? And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So the question is, what is this? What is the this? <laughs> Start going backwards and get to the first thing. It's all of it, brothers and sisters. It's from A to Z. It's the plan. It is everything that it took for you to be made alive. It is all grace. It is all a gift. We have nothing we can boast of. That's good news, brothers and sisters. We are the church that has been saved. We have been made alive together with Christ. By His grace, through faith. Why? You see, until you ask that question, you don't understand the first two chapters of Ephesians. In other words, if you're not asking now, why in the world would God save somebody like me? You need to go back and read the first two chapters again. And if you get to it and you're still not there, read it again. Then go and read Romans and go back to Ephesians because that's the right question. Why me, Lord? Oh, how much easier we would have unity within His church if we stopped pointing our fingers to other people and simply look, Lord, why did you save me? I mean, I was a religious hypocrite. I was a mean Southern Baptist. That's what I was at one point in time. God intervened in my life. Praise the Lord for that. Why did He save me? Why did He save you? Well, there's some so that's here. I just want us to look at them. Then we're going to come to the table. Look at, back, look at Ephesians 2 verse 7. Right there in the context. It says, So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Why is there an us now? Why is the local church so important and so precious to God? Because it puts His grace on visible display that these people who would not spend any time together, who would not have been friends and family, if you would not have united us by His grace, but now we are one now. And what does it say? We are here so that we may put His grace on display. You want to know the purpose of your life? is to put His grace on display. Why? There's a really big why. It governs all of it, really. And flip back to Ephesians 1. Look with me at verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Verse 12, So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. That's why we're saved. That's why we're saved. Look at verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? Why? To the praise of His glory. 
Why did God take two people, two groups of people who hated each other and made them one and made them one in his church through Christ to display the glory of his grace? That's why he would. I remember reading a book by John MacArthur years ago called 12 Ordinary Men. I think he wrote 12 Ordinary Women as well. Impactful book because here's what it says. The disciples are just ordinary people. Matter of fact, a lot of them are sort of messed up. We had zealots. We had a tax collector. We had uneducated fishermen and all these ordinary messed up guys changed the world with the gospel. But it was important for them, as it's important for us today, it says, who did you used to be? It's a good thing to remember. You know, we grow slowly in Christ, sort of like, sort of like as you watch your children grow up, we don't realize our children are as big as they are until someone hadn't seen them in a while. It says, oh my goodness, they're twice the size they used to be. Well, some of us are twice the size spiritually than we used to be. Do you remember who you used to be? Are you not growing? But do you remember? It's a question we should ask. That we exist as a people of God now so that we may declare His praise and declare it together. And the second thing of the so that is that we, may, we might boast only in this grace. He, he says this multiple times, but verse 9 says it's not a result of works. So that, there's our so that again. No one may boast. Oh, there's so much about boasting in the Bible. But I really want you to see this text in Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Pretty good sized book. Pretty easy to find. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9. Look with me at verse 23. I love this passage. Verse 23. Thus saith the Lord... Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Not let, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You were saved so that we might... Put God's glory on display and say, if I have anything to boast of, it is that the fact that I know Jesus Christ. We boast in that and that alone and that we might live for Him. That's the so that. Why are you saved? So that you may put His glorious grace on display. So that you may put the fact that who I am in Christ, my security, my authority, all that I have, that I will for His glory has nothing to do with anything I've done. And I also glory in the fact that I've been put here for a purpose. Verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should what? Walk in them. This is the gospel life. You see, we were born once already. And sin stopped us in our tracks from doing what God created us to do. But in Christ, we have been what? Born again. This is this other side of this imagery of this spiritual resurrection. We have been born again into a family to do what we do. And we do it together. 
We do the mission of God and we do it together. We were created for this purpose. We were brought together as God's church for this purpose. Psalms 103 says this, Know that the Lord, He is God. He made us. We are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We are His workmanship. We are His creation. We are the zenith of creation. The earth is not. The animals are not. The universe in all its glory is not. We are. Because we get the privilege by His grace of knowing Him. God created pre-prepared works for you to do while you're here. That's what the text says. Prepared them beforehand. That we should walk in them. The same time He chose you. The same time He predestined you. He prepared good works for us to do. So I come, I come back, I end where I started in Ephesians 2, 14. Remember that other bookend? After he does all the we's and all the you's. And now saying Christ, it is just us. In verse 14 he says, For he himself is our peace, who made us, Jews and Gentiles, both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinance, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing what? Killing the hostility. How does he do it? Look at the text. Does it to his church. What's the hope of unity in this country? Micah said it already. It's not the rules and the regulations. It is His church being who we were created to be. And to do this, we must live the gospel life. I am reminded now as we come to the table. Do you remember? Read John 13 to John 17. I call it the upper room discourse and realize all that Jesus said and did with his, with his disciples while they were around the table celebrating the Passover lamb. Do you remember? John 13, 1 says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Listen, it's precious. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He gathered his disciples. And you remember what he did? He washed their feet. He told them, what I've just done for you, how I've just loved you, now you love each other that way. I'm leaving. I am the I am. Chapter 5. John 15, but I'm leaving and I'm sending the Holy Spirit. You will suffer, but have no fear. I will tell you what to say and I will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I come to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will bring you back. All that was why he sat at the table with his body and blood being symbolized before him. And some say he was either in the courtyard of that house or on his way to Gethsemane when he prayed John 17. The high priestly prayer. And in this prayer, do you remember? He prays for oneness. 
He says, oh, that his church would be one. Like we are one. I and you and they and me. Make them one, Lord. He prayed this amazing prayer. And in chapter 18, 1, it says, When Jesus spoke these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook of the Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And after praying for his disciples, and loving his disciples, and serving his disciples, and teaching his disciples, he went to the cross and became the Passover lamb. So brothers and sisters, let us go to our Lord in prayer as we come to the table in just a few minutes. Lord, we come to you now. Having heard this wonderful, we have just skimmed over the surface of this mountaintop text, Lord. The Lord, in order to live this gospel life, God, we have to remember who we were and who we are. So that we may enjoy you to the fullest right now. And so, Lord, we now come to this special time in which we first sing to your name and just worship you for who you are. And then we come to the table. Lord, would you remind us as if we were there at the table with you, because we are. How much you love us, how much you love every individual that sits in this room, and how you proved it by the giving of your Son. Oh, how Jesus loves us. So now, Lord, we Take this time to remember what your son has done to bring us to yourself, Lord. In Jesus' name, I want you to stand to your feet. We are going to sing and worship the Lord. Then I will come back up and, and lead us to the table.